March 11th, the Holy and Living Word. Let's pray. Holy Heavenly Father, your word is truth. Sanctify me with your truth. Sanctify us with your truth this morning. Arouse my thinking. Arouse my mind. Arouse my alertness. Allow me to see the word, understand the word, to see the gospel in the word, Lord, to see Christ everywhere in the word. Father, open my heart up. Stir up my affections toward you. Give me an understanding that allows me to cling to you all the more and holds fast to you throughout this day, Lord. Allow me to be changed by this moment, to be in this moment, not be mechanical or robotic, but invigorated by affection towards you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Exodus 22. Exodus 22. When a man steals an ox or a sheep and butchers it or sells it, he must repay five cattle for the ox or four sheep for the sheep. If a thief is caught in the act of breaking in, he is beaten to death. No one is guilty of bloodshed. But if this happens after sunrise, the housekeeper or the householder is guilty of bloodshed. A thief must make full restitution. If he is unable, he is to be sold because of his theft. If what was stolen, whether ox, donkey, or sheep, is actually found alive in his possession, he must repay double. When a man lets a field or vineyard be grazed in and then allows his animals to go and graze in someone else's field, He must repay with the best of his own field or vineyard. When a fire gets out of control, spreads to the thorn bushes, and consumes stacks of cut grain, standing grain, or a field, the one who started the fire must make full restitution for what was burned. When a man gives his neighbor valuables or goods to keep, but they are stolen from the person's house, the thief, if caught, must repay double. If the thief is present himself, If the thief is not caught, the owner of the house must present himself to the judges to determine whether or not he has taken his neighbor's property. In any case of wrongdoing involving an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment, or anything else lost, and someone claims that's mine, the case between the two parties is is to come before the judges. The one the the judges condemn must repay double to his neighbor. When a man gives his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any other animal to care for, but it dies, is injured, or is stolen, while no one is watching, there must be an oath before the Lord between the two of them to determine whether or not he has taken his neighbor's property. Its owner must accept the oath, and the other man does not have to make restitution. But if in fact the animal was stolen from his custody, he must make restitution to its owner. If it was actually torn apart by a wild animal, he is to bring it as evidence. He does not have to make restitution for the torn carcass. When a man borrows an animal from his neighbor and it is injured or dies while its owner is not there with it, the man must make full restitution. 
If its owner is there with it, the man does not have to make restitution. If it was rented, the loss is covered by its rental price. If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged and he sleeps with her, he must certainly pay the bridal price for her to be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he must pay an amount in silver equal to the bridal price for virgins. Do not allow a sorceress to live. Whoever has sexual intercourse with an animal must be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any gods except the Lord alone is to be set apart for destruction. You must not exploit a resident alien or oppress him. Since you are resident aliens in the land of Egypt, you must not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, they will no doubt cry to me, and I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will burn, and I will kill you with this sword. And your wives will be widows, and your children fatherless. If you lend silver to my people, to the poor person among you, you must not be like a creditor to him. You must not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as collateral, return return it to him before sunset. For it is his only covering. It is the clothing for his body. What will he sleep in? And if he cries out to me, I will listen because I am gracious. You must not blaspheme God or curse a leader among your people. You must not hold back offering from your harvest or your vats. Give me the firstborn of your sons. Do not do the same with your cattle and your flock. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but on the eighth day you are to give them to me. Be my holy people. You must not eat the meat of a mole animal found in the field. Throw it to the dogs. Hmm. Do God's laws apply today? The great theonomy question. I think there's a lot to be gained from that. All right. Job 40. Job 40 today. The Lord answered Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who argues with God give an answer. And Job answered the Lord, I am so insignificant. How can I answer you? I place my hand over my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not reply twice, but I now can add nothing. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me. Would you really challenge my justice? Would you declare me guilty of justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Can you thunder with a voice like this? Adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and clothe yourself with honor and glory. Pour out your raging anger. Look on every proud person and humiliate him. Look on every proud person and humble him. Trample the wicked where they stand. Hide them together in the dust. Imprison them in the grave. Then I will confess to you that your own right hand can deliver you. Look at Behemoth, which I made along with you. 
He eats grass like cattle. Look at the strength of his back and the power and the muscles of his belly. He stiffens his tail like a cedar tree. The tendons of his thighs are woven firmly together. His bones are bronze tubes. His limbs are like iron rods. He is the foremost of God's works. Only his maker can draw the sword against him. The hills yield food for him. All sorts of animals, wild animals, play there. He lies under the lotus plants, hiding in the protection of marshy reeds. Lotus plants cover him with their shade. The willows by the brook surround him. Though the river rages, Behemoth is unafraid. He remains confident even if the Jordan surges up to his mouth. Can anyone capture him while he looks on? Pierce his nose with snares. Solomon, the wisdom of God. Proverbs 11. Dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is his delight. When arrogance comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. Integrity of the upright guides them, but the perversity of the treacherous destroys them. Wealth is not profitable on a day of wrath, but the righteousness, but righteousness rescues from death. The righteousness of the blameless clears his path, but the wicked person will fall because of his wickedness. The righteousness of the upright rescues them but the treacherous are trapped by their own desires. When the wicked person dies, his expectation comes to nothing, and hope placed in wealth vanishes. The righteous one is rescued from trouble. In his place, the wicked one goes in. With his mouth, the ungodly destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous are rescued. When the righteous thrive, a city rejoices. When the wicked die, there is joyful shouting. A city is built up by the blessing of the upright, but it is torn down by the mouth of the wicked. Whoever shows contempt for for his neighbors lacks sense, but a person with understanding keeps silent. A gossip goes around revealing a secret, but a trustworthy person keeps a confidence. Without guidance, a people will fall, but with many counselors, there is deliverance. If someone puts up security for a stranger, he will suffer for it, but the one who hates such agreements is protected. A gracious woman gains honor, but violent people gain only riches. A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel person brings ruin on himself. A wicked person earns an empty wage, but the one who sows righteousness a true reward. Genuine righteousness leads to life, but pursuing evil leads to death. Those with twisted minds are detestable to the Lord, but those with blameless conduct are his delight. 
Be assured that a wicked person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will escape. A beautiful woman who rejects good sense is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. The desire of the righteous turns out well, but the hope of the wicked leads to wrath. One person gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds what is right, only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. People with people will curse anyone who hoards grain, but a blessing will come to the one who sells it. The one who searches for what is good seeks favor, but if someone looks for trouble, it will come to him. Anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. The one who brings ruin on his household will inherit the wind, and a fool will be a slave to someone whose heart is wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and a wise person captivates people. If the righteous will be repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and sinful. Moving on to John today. John 1. The Apostle of Love. The high-soaring Apostle John. See what he has for us this morning via the Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, He gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory, as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and explained, exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, 
the one and only Son who is himself God and is the Father's, is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? He didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah, or Elijah, or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing water with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, The one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day John was standing with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by. He said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, and you will see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. For Philip called you, and you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Jesus answered, Rabbi, Nathanael replied, You are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus responded to him, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. 
And he said, Truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Mm. Man, that's how you open up a gospel account. Today, we are in Second Corinthians 10. Um, let me see how we'll do this today. Because we are meditating on Second Corinthians 7 through 9 this month, we might as well just read 7 through 9 and then continue right on to 10. All right. Corinthians 7. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you, since I have already said that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am very frank with you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the arrival of Titus. Not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. If I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a while, I now rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation, without regret. But worldly grief produces death. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving of God wills, as God wills, has produced in you. What a desire to clear yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What deep longing. What zeal. What justice. In every way you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not because of the one who did wrong or because of the one who wronged, who was wrong, but in order that your devotion to us might be made plain to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. In addition to our own comfort, we rejoiced even more over the joy Titus had, because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. For if I have made any boast to him about you, I have not been disappointed. But as I have spoken everything to you in truth, so our boasting to Titus has also turned out to be the truth. And his affection toward you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of all of you, and how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that I have complete confidence in you. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about, this is Second Corinthians 8, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability 
of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others. I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving advice because it is profitable for you, who began last year not only to do something but also to want to do it. Now also finish the task, so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need, in order that they, there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. Thanks be to God who put the same concern for you into the heart of Titus, for he welcomed our appeal and, being very diligent, went out to you by his own choice. We have sent with him the brother who is praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry. And not only that, but he was also appointed by the churches to accompany us with this gracious gift that we are administering for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help we are talking, we are taking this precaution so that no one will criticize us about the large sum that we are administering. Indeed, <clears throat> we are giving ourselves thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. We have also sent with him our brother. We have often tested him in many circumstances and found him to be diligent, and now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker for you. As for our brothers, they are the messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show them proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you. Now concerning the ministry to the saints, it is unnecessary for me to write to you. For I know your eagerness, and I boast about you to the Macedonians. Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brother so that our boasting about you in this matter would not prove empty, and so that you would be ready, just as I said. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be put to shame in that situation. Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed in the increase of your harvest of your righteousness. 
you will be enriched in every way for all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now I, Paul, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, Now I, Paul, myself, appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble among you in person, but bold toward you when absent, I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are behaving according to the flesh. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, and we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. Look at what is obvious. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, let him remind himself of this. Just as he belongs to Christ, so do we. For if I boast a little too much about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for tearing you down, I will not be put to shame. I don't want to seem as though I am trying to terrify you with my letters. For it is said, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak and his public speaking amounts to nothing. Let such a person consider this, what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will also be in our actions when we are present. For we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, but in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding. We, however, will not boast about beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of our ministry that God has assigned to us, which reaches even to you, for we are not overextending ourselves as if we had not reached you, since we have come to you with the gospel of Christ. We are not boasting beyond measure about other people's labors. On the contrary, we have the hope that as our faith increases, our area of the ministry will be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel to the regions beyond you without boasting about what has already been done in someone else's area of ministry. So let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Heavenly Father, let us take what was read today and let us change us, Lord, on a subconscious level and on a conscious level, Lord. Let your word attach to us and literally infuse with our thinking, Lord. Renew our mind today. Um, Allow us to be stirred up and to think about you and for your glory and your might and your power and your authority to be ever-present in our minds at the very forefront of our minds all day. For Christ's sake and for my good and my joy in you, Lord. Amen.